No one buys off facts and figures. They buy off emotion. You can have all the logic in the world, but bring emotions into it and emotions will prevail every single time. So how do we use what we know works and actually start to create and share stories, which looks at agriculture through the emotional lens. And I think for me, that was where the natural fit of storytelling came in. Because if you meet with people in the sector, there's always so many stories that come out of it. There's so much passion that come into it. People's faces light up when they start talking about these things. And how can we grab all those amazing things and actually take that to a platform where the everyday person actually becomes our hero. Welcome to Boots Off, Log On a podcast where we talk all things farm business, a show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David, and I'll be your host for the show. G'day, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Boots Off Log On. In this episode, I'm talking to Ollie Lerlodovia, Ollie is the founder and the voice behind the very popular podcast, Humans of Agriculture. Ollie is giving a voice to the people of agriculture. He has a very global view and talks about how he sees agriculture is bigger than just farming and just Australia. He talks about the advantage of zooming out and seeing the interconnectedness of agriculture across the whole supply chain and across the whole world. He sees Humans of Agriculture as a place where People of agriculture can meet on an even plane. So whether you're the CEO of a large agribusiness company, a researcher, a farmer, in this medium that Ollie provides, everybody can just be a human of agriculture. He's a very qualified guy. He's got a bachelor of business uh, in agriculture, in agribusiness actually. He is a graduate of the Australian Rural Leadership Program, which he highly rates. He's worked in ag tech, he's worked in online auctioning, in agribusiness advisory, and has worked as a farmhand in Australia and Canada. So he talks from a place of understanding and a place of knowing. Ollie is one of the bright young leaders of our agricultural industry, and I really enjoy this conversation. I trust you will enjoy listening as much as I did talking to him. Now over to Ollie. Welcome, Ollie. Um, welcome to Boots Off Log On. Um, most people know you as the voice behind Humans of Agriculture. Um, uh, and now you're actually on the other end of the mic today. So, yeah, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks, Dave. It, it is a little bit disconcerting. Now I'm all of a sudden get an idea of what the guests feel like, where you're just walking into the abyss of you have no idea what's actually coming up in the next hour or so. So I think I'm going to have to try and get you back on this and we'll swap roles. How does that sound? <laughs> Oh, mate, you should be scared too. Uh, <laughs> hey, mate, uh, before we go into the whole podcast journey, which has obviously been a successful one, and we'll go into that um, later in this in this chat, but I'm interested, so how do you get, get going in agriculture? Because you don't have a traditional sort of trajectory into an ag career, do you? No, like I didn't, but I think probably something I've started to learn is actually maybe it's a little bit more common than what we know. It's just that I guess these stories have been hidden out there, but- yeah, like I, I grew up in Sydney and it's something probably early in my career and involvement in agriculture, I really kind of shied away from. And I, I hate those questions about, well, whereabouts are you from? Because I was like, oh, well, I was working on a farm or I was in studying at uni. And I kind of, when you say, oh, I'm, I'm from Sydney and in agriculture, people are like, oh, that's strange. But yeah, I guess for me, it, it has been a bit of a, a different pathway. But like my mum's family have been involved in, in agriculture through her sisters and I was really fortunate to have that connection through my auntie and uncle's property and spend a lot of time with my cousins growing up and I think that's from the really early days where the love of agriculture started and probably lit this little fire in my belly. Yeah, definitely. So so because you had all that exposure through your childhood and that's really what you're saying with this this interest in ag beyond just the novelty of going to going to the farm. Yeah, like Straight out of school and even through those later years of high school, like farming, I just thought it was the best thing in the world. I I couldn't wait to finish year 12. I knew that eventually I'd probably end up going to university and that was important to kind of have on the radar. But all I wanted to do was get outdoors. I I never really probably classified myself as being someone who was A, academic, but also B, very good at sitting down. And I never really thought that I'd probably end up in like a desk job. And so that opportunity to get outdoors drive tractors, work with animals, be in the outdoors was kind of the dream. And so I think for me, 
leaving high school, agriculture was really just farming and that was all I wanted to do. And I did end up going and studying, uh, did a stint at Sydney University at one stage, then did that for 18 months and it didn't quite work out. Um, and, and then went back farming. So it kind of became this, like nearly the, the fallback that was the comfortable place when it came to working and, and what I actually really enjoyed was being on the farm. And it wasn't until I went to Marcus Oldham and started to study agribusiness there. And we went on various field trips and, uh, I was going to call them excursions, but various field trips and travels here in Australia and as well as in China and New Zealand as part of that caused it, it probably started to open my eyes up to just the breadth of what actually happens across that whole agriculture value chain. And farming's one really important part, but there's actually lots of people and, and processes and things that actually have to happen to get food and fiber onto people's plates and, and onto their bodies. Yeah, that's really interesting. I remember when I saw you speak at uh, the Inspire Summit, you, one of the comments you made is, is agriculture is bigger than farming and it's bigger than Australia. Um, and is this really where this starts? Can you probably elaborate a bit on, on that and how you see it in your head? Yeah. Um, and it's probably really told me, I was having a conversation with someone only this morning around when it comes to connecting people to agriculture. And I think we've seen this evolution and, and only this week I was reading a report as well, but that evolution of when it comes to farming, both here in Australia, but actually globally is this decline of the number of farmers that there are because um. people's lives have changed. I guess we've seen advancements in technology. The way we produce food has become more efficient to be able to feed more people with less resources, et cetera. But, um, for me, I think, yeah, agriculture and the definition in my head of agriculture isn't just purely people involved in farming. Like to me, a human of agriculture is someone who is really conscious and passionate about what they do, but is involved in either the production, in the moving, in the consuming, um, and anywhere along that value chain. So I think to me, agriculture starts with everything that actually needs to happen pre-farm gate with research, science, everything that needs to happen inside the farm gate. But then all those little activities, whether it's marketing, legal, administration, logistics, processing, further distribution, and, and even to the point of where consumers are starting to think about, okay, I consciously want to buy this product because of X, Y, Z. I actually see them as being a really integral part of agriculture because if people are thinking that way, it actually is influencing how we are producing food and actually how that whole ag value chain is actually creating products. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting. I was, I was talking to a farmer the other day and we we're talking about this um, this myth that's been used globally. It, it's used locally and globally about the you know the the independent. You know, I'm just doing this on the land and all this sort of stuff. And I was well, it's going kind of, okay. Well, okay. Let's. How many people are involved? Like they were growing grain. Like I say, how many people do you rely on to grow grain? And we we're elaborating that. So, like you're saying. Everything from plant breeders to chemists to nutritionists to people who manufacture left-hand only self-tightening nuts on a header to metallurgists, to, you know, like it's just, it ends up into tens and hundreds of thousands of people. It does. Recently, I was um, up at the Australian Livestock Markets Association's conference and we had the chance to chat to them and I, I guess posed the question to the, to the audience and said, who's actually involved? in your sale yards, in making it happen. We know sale yards are a huge part of rural communities and people come together, but when they started to think about it, it was so much more than just the, the farmers that are selling, the people that are buying and the agents involved. Actually, there was canteens, there was school groups, there's in some of them agritourism that comes in. And it was a place that actually when you start to look at it, what does, what we see is the sale yard, okay, if we look at it transactionally, there's kind of three people involved. If you actually look at it holistically, there's council workers, there's vets, there's this huge breadth of opportunity. And I think for us, when it comes to agriculture, if we step back and start to look, I guess, with a bit more vi um, vision in terms of actually who could be in our periphery, if we take five or six steps back, well, actually our industry becomes a whole lot bigger and actually becomes really united as well, because each person has a little role to play in ultimately creating that end product, whatever that might be. Importantly, they become stakeholders in a way too, don't they? Like if you think you as the guy who builds sale yards and you're a boilermaker, you normally probably wouldn't result, you know, consider yourself as part of agriculture, but in reality, they can't do it without you. So suddenly you become a stakeholder in, in that little part, don't you? Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's the piece. It's like, who are these stakeholders that are involved in our, in our agriculture sector? 
And I think uh, when you start to talk to different people, the, the common thread that start to come up when you work and chat and interact with people who are involved in agriculture, it really comes back to people who are passionate and it might be passionate about big picture, or it might be someone who is just so enthusiastic about metalwork and creating, I guess, pieces of art that actually then become cattle yards and sow yards and the technology that goes into animal handling or whatever it might be. There's so much passion in, I guess, these little pockets. It's how do we start to grab those linkages together? Because that's when it starts to become really big. And um, a few years ago, David, I was helping mentor and provide a little bit of feedback for some students at, at Sydney University who were doing a subject. And the subject actually, instead of talking about agriculture, was under the guise of food, nutrition, and sustainability. And I think that was a really interesting lens because I guess for us at Humans of Ag, how we've tried to do it as well is we bring in nutritionists into the conversation. We bring in chefs because there's all these people across that value chain who are involved in agriculture. And if you look at it through redefining nearly agriculture as food, fiber, nutrition, sustainability, that covers everything from people, animals, environment, etc. I was thinking about this the other day. The systems have got so big that like anyone in all of our businesses, we tend to get routinized, you know, like I'm a... Uh, you know, how I identify, you know, I'm a grain grower, I'm a cattle farmer, I'm a whatever. But in reality, like you talked about the chefs. So so what are people wanting to eat? How are they wanting to eat? How much are they wanting to eat? Do you think eventually that zooming out would actually maybe eventually look at the way people farm, like the way people farm or what they grow or the type of things they grow or the mix of things they grow it could actually alter their perception of where they can add value in that in that ecosystem? Yeah, from my perspective, I'd say potentially, and, and I think it probably already has actually happened. It's the emergence of opportunities and seeing, oh, when someone goes to say a branded beef product or someone decides in your area to start growing chickpeas in an area that hasn't traditionally grown chickpeas, like this evolution actually has really been part of agriculture. We've seen, I guess, the expansion of big paddocks back down into cell grazing, back into big paddocks. Now everyone's talking about big mobs, small areas, rotational grazing, like these things actually are constantly evolving and are probably happening and have happened for quite some time. And I think we're probably just seeing that as we continue to learn, the information that we're able to act on um, is creating these different opportunities for us. And I think that's probably something which will just continue into the future. And I think that's probably one of the really exciting parts, knowing that the way we have done things in the past isn't the thing, the way we do it today. And the way we're doing it today won't be the way that we, it will always be. It'll continue to evolve as, I guess, the information that we get gets better and, and we learn and make different decisions based off whatever that decision driver is, whether it's profit, income, lifestyle, whatever it might be. I think um, I was just in the lunchroom actually talking to one of my team members and we were just talking about something nerdy, sciencey or tech. And anyway, we are just saying it's almost guaranteed that in 50 to 100 years' time, future people are going to look back at us and go, oh my God, how stupid were they? I can't believe they didn't get X, Y, Z. You know, like, you know, we're guaranteed to be primitive at some point in the future. At the moment, you know, what we see is bleeding edge tech in another hundred years is is regarded as foolish or um, something, you know? So it's really interesting how, you know, we have our moment in the sun, don't we? We do. And then I think also probably what's really cool in an agriculture sense is that acknowledgement of tradition as well. Like the early innovators, the stump jump plows, the sunshine harvesters, like a lot of the technology and, and ways that were created were, was done in a way, or actually it was just evolving it into the next generation. I think when you look at our technology that we're using now in farms, God, I think elders now even have an automated or soon to be automated wool handling facility. Like this stuff, it's not, it's not I guess, super revolutionary but it's actually evolutionary in the sense that it, it is just the next iteration as we learn from what we've done and I think that's probably the cool part maybe something we don't do enough of is actually looking back and going this is how we used to do it but this is the point we're at now because this is all we've learned like imagine what it will look like in the future and how do we imagine that as we continue to learn and get curious about what agriculture is and, and how it can be better. A lot of people are surprised with sometimes, especially from outside of ag, they go, they're always surprised about ag tech. And I was going, well, agriculture as a whole, like you say, right up and down the value chain, you know, everyone's just 
every day kind of having a dissatisfaction with something, aren't they? And they're just going, okay, how can I do that better? So it's everything from farmers in workshops inventing plows and new header fronts and new ways of handling stock that eventually get picked up by somebody and end up some of them get commercialized. But they all end up as these little experiments on farm. And tech and software seems to be no different. You look at half the ag software companies, they're either ex-farmers or they still are farmers or they're people just tinkering, aren't they? And I suppose that tinkering evolves over many years, like you're saying. I think probably like the where it really starts is it starts off by identifying a problem. And that's maybe, I've, I've been involved in ag tech a little bit and, and the industry maybe sometimes frustrates me a little bit in terms of it. Like what's the, <laughs> if you come back to what's the real problem you're trying to solve, I think when we see those aspects of anything like in society more broadly, when it starts by addressing a problem, that's where success really breeds from. And um, I think there's some really great case studies of that in agriculture with going, what is the problem and, and how do we, help address that to solve someone's problem. <laughs> I remember um, uh, this is, uh, um, I can't remember what he does, but a guy called Roger LaSalle, and he um, he used to say, he goes, innovation's always in the cursing. So he goes, if you want innovation, whether it be tech or engineering or whatever, just go to where everyone's swearing, and he goes, there's a problem to be solved. It's <laughs> actually probably not a bad way. You just got to, I guess, then filter out which, which of the swearings, because Sometimes in the sheep yard and whatnot, it can be, um, yeah, maybe there's not always a solution to that. That might be human error. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all a lot of innovation capability. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, one thing they're going to be doing in a hundred years time, I don't think they would have handled, they worked out sheep handling yet. <laughs> yeah. No, it certainly is one area, isn't it? If, if robots could do it, you think they'd be starting to, to do it. So, yeah. Hey mate, I'm. All these views that we're talking about. So in the early days, you've done everything from you've worked as jackarooing, you've farmed in Canada, you've worked in, you know, larger, you know, global, uh, like you worked at Global Table, which, you know, in the US, which is part, I think, Food Bank. Is that right? I think. And no, nah, so it is separate. Global Table was an event we, we held here in Melbourne and oh, it, was, okay. it was partnered up with a, an event out of Europe called the Global Food Innovation Summit. So all this exposure, right from jackarooing through to that, to Marcus doing things. So how did that inform your view of what eventually became what you're doing now? So how did that form your mind around agriculture? It's probably interesting because I think really the golden thread between everything has been curiosity and that eagerness to kind of try and learn and understand. And a lot of it has been self-driven. And even with humans of agriculture today, a lot of it is I want to find out or understand or learn an aspect or something about a person or about an industry or whatever it might be. And so I think for me, probably the, that's the, the similarities across all of the businesses. But I think probably starting off, it, it has just been that as I had different experiences, so the chance to actually go on farm and experience, okay, well, maybe these are the parts of the job that I really love. These are the parts maybe I didn't enjoy as much. So when it comes to my next step or the next opportunity, how do I change or, or evolve into that? I think a big part for me was actually through Marcus Oldham. And, and I remember when we went to China, it was 2014, and we'd been on several different tours here in Australia looking at different elements of the agricultural supply chain, but I'd never been immersed into an area with as many people as China, with as much innovation and poverty kind of coexisting. And I think what blew my mind in some of those Chinese cities was you had the coexistence of one of the most affluent people in society, but also the poorest. And they literally live side by side. And then you look at, well, what, what are the similarities and things that we can draw out of this? And a lot of it came down to people's involvement in agriculture. And yeah, I think for me that the jobs and opportunities I've pursued have been about, well, how can I understand more about either that pocket of the world or that industry or whatever it might be? Um, because I'm really just trying to find my way through it as well and, and work out what it is that really lights me up. And so whether it's been working in ag tech startups and working really hand in hand with farmers to try and address some of their on-farm challenges, but then also look at, well, what are the ancillary benefits of this as it starts to move through the supply chain that we can provide to others? And then looking at, okay, well, I've, I won't say I mastered that, but I've, I've learned that and I've understood that aspect. How can I go and learn more? And I think for me, it's just been really fortunately just the, the chance to meet different people, be willing to throw my hand up, but also probably not be willing to, uh, to to settle and think, okay, I'm in this job. It's got great career prospects. If I stick around for five or 10 years, well, then I could be there. It's actually like, well, 
what's driving me has been that that learning and i think that's probably what has really flown into what humans of agriculture is today is really that desire to learn and understand get curious and ask questions and meet a whole bunch of people while we do that you mentioned um when i was listening to you at that conference about you talked about curiosity but you also talked about vulnerability so the idea of being able to you know to really truly learn you talked about the importance of vulnerability how, how do you see that um how do you think that really works for you as a person but also for for humans of agriculture vulnerability is a funny one um i'd say for me in a professional sense i feel comfortable being vulnerable um I think it's probably been my, my fallback, um, in terms of when things get difficult, it's like, okay, well, let's just be career driven and focus on that. I'd say probably vulnerability wise, personal life is probably harder to be vulnerable. I think that's the the side of things which really scares the shit out of me when it comes to what I've done professionally. And I guess the experiences that I've had in different businesses, my learnings through humans of agriculture, I, I think it's really just approaching these things by going. Yeah, just being honest and it's probably something which I've been really fortunate to do a couple of different leadership courses, none more so than the Australian Rural Leadership Program last year. And I think something which really stuck with me through that was, especially in vulnerability, how do you be, how do you be personal when it comes to sharing your experiences, but also not private? And I think it's important to, to understand the differences of that. And so I think for me, with vulnerability, like I am putting my heart kind of on my sleeve and going and sharing the different experiences I'm going through, the good, the bad. And I guess the more so is the ones where I'm really just throwing my hands up in the air and being like, I actually genuinely don't know. But I think the beauty, and and I'm sure you learn about it as well through having a podcast, the chance to actually talk with people and create a space where you can have that connection with them and chat through these things is going, most people actually don't have their shit together. Like there are... CEOs of organizations who are literally in the exact same situation of being like, this is what we're trying to achieve, but how we get there, I actually don't know. Um, but that, I think that's where you, your little community, whether that's in a business or the people around you actually become so important because you're never actually alone and being able to share things and talk openly about it. Well, actually, for me, I think if I'm, if I genuinely am having trouble with something and I can either sit here and stew on it or I can actually share it and try and address it and then move on with it. And then hopefully from that, you never know, opportunities might come. Do you know what's amazing, isn't it, that how willing people are to help out if you're willing to listen or learn, isn't it? Like, you know, I remember when I've had um, team members come into AgriMaster and, like, for example, they're from, they're from outside Ag, but they really want to get involved. Um, I always say to them, you know, never, never pretend that you know, just say, look, I don't know anything about whatever the farm business is. Everybody wants to tell you about their business. They want to educate you. They want to help you. It's actually phenomenal. (laughs) And so they end up with this massive knowledge because everybody wants to share. Um, I I completely agree. And I think for me, I feel like a a huge imposter at times. People are like, oh, if you're in this position where you get to talk on behalf of agriculture, so I will... No, like I just get the chance to ask people questions and I'm learning for myself through that. And I think that's a looking at different areas. Like I, I really regard myself and probably coming back to that career question, like did I want to specialize in an area or did I kind of want to be a generalist? And often people will say, oh, for your career, you kind of go general at the beginning and then choose your specialization okay. and go down it. But I actually kind of regard myself as a generalist because I just truly am fascinated by so much and so many different things that um for me yeah it's looking at through i guess passing on stories is actually going well if someone over here like if i'm chatting with you david and you're the expert in um in livestock then i actually can share what i've learned through your story and how that's actually helped me grow my understanding or shifted my perspective on something i think that becomes a really powerful way where it's not trying to be an expert and regurgitate something you said, it's actually coming from my perspective, my take. And I think that's where storytelling is so incredible is it allows people to take it, but then actually give their own interpretation of it and be able to pass that on in terms of how that impacted them or, or what they learned from it. A lot of uh, my friends and colleagues go, how do you find time to do this podcast? And I go, well, it's a bit of a selfish pursuit, really. 
because I would love having these conversations even if I didn't ever record them. So, you know, because I just really want to learn from Ollie or from Jack or from, you know, so it is a bit of a selfish hobby, but, you know, you've got to make sure it provides value to everyone who's taking the time to listen as well, don't you? hundred percent. Do we share the secret with everyone yet or not? Or do we hold on to it for a bit longer? <laughs> hey, on that, let's segue into humans of agriculture. So look, you've had these, this, this ramp up into ag, yeah? So how did humans, and like humans of agriculture has been largely, really successful. Now you put a post on social media the other day, you've hit some big numbers, right? So we'll go, you can explain those numbers, but <laughs> so let's start at the end. So the numbers now, and then how did you get going? Like, how did this, what do you call it, monolith start? Like, yeah, well, I think for us, we're probably like we're definitely best known for our podcast, our weekly podcast, which we've been doing, which is really championing and showcasing just the extraordinary people which make up our agriculture sector. And yeah, last month, I, I think over the last couple of months, we've probably been playing with it a little bit. We've evolved our team, which has allowed us to probably come up with a bit more of a strategy about how do we do what we do in the best way we can and shift that and share that responsibility so we can execute on it. And I think it's been really exciting to see. So in, in the month of July, we had 28,000 listens and that's off the back of in June where we had 22,000. We kind of looked at that going like, oh my God, this is just all of a sudden. I think probably before that we're averaging 15 to 16,000, but that uptick to 22 really kicked off and it was off the back of looking at, well, what are the areas that we want to learn about? So I think one part of that is really an area which you can't have an agenda on, but it's going, okay, who are the people which I'm really fascinated by and want to sit down with and chat to find out more about their drivers, their opportunities, their journeys that they've had. And we've been really lucky, I think, just the challenges on the podcast that we only have 50 odd spots a year that we can fill and there's just yeah. so many different people. And so we've had some really awesome talent, but we also, on the side of that, released a series around something which I think is incredibly talked about, obviously being carbon. So we wanted to come up with a carbon shortcut series where sat down and interviewed an expert who was Professor Richard Eckhart from the University of Melbourne and wanted to, from my own, I guess, frustrations of there was so much noise in this space, but if I'm having all these conversations with people and I don't understand it, and then I guess reference checking out with friends um, and other people through our community, but also personally going, okay, there's actually a huge gap in the understanding of this. So can we take a model which has worked in other areas, which is let's start a learning journey and a conversation, which is incredibly topical that isn't overly well understood. Can we chat to an expert and ask some of the really simple and dumb questions, but the ones that people probably wouldn't put their hand up and ask in a, in a crowd. That's, I guess, the end point. Flipping it back, 2019, um, I was, what was I? I was in between jobs. I'd just finished up at a company called AgLive. We were the ag tech company that was working on the farm management platform as well as supply chain traceability solution. And the part which I knew that really lit me up was looking at the opportunity for agriculture was how do we connect the consumer back into everything that was happening along that supply chain and inside the farm gate. And what we were doing at that business was built around trying to create data points. And my frustration sitting there was like, well, actually we need to do it through marketing first because it's all well and good to have data. But if people actually have no idea that this is available or this is the awareness piece, create all the data you want, but it's actually completely irrelevant because people actually want to know and connect into this. And so in 2019, quite a, I guess, crucial moment, I had left my job there with nothing else to go to. And I was over in South Africa and for me, I think probably, and I, and I really want to do more travel, especially with an agricultural lens, because agriculture is the one thing that all 8 billion people on the planet have in common. And it's the one thing which actually people, when they're at their most vulnerable and challenged, actually fall back to. And so South Africa was really interesting that like, as a country kind of driving through there, you, you see extreme poverty and then as you came to Cape Town, you can literally have shanty towns and mansions next to each other. But it was a conversation we had with a taxi driver and he was a fellow from Zimbabwe and he chatted about, well, he was in Cape Town driving a taxi so he could save up enough money to actually return home and start farming. And it was like, oh my God, in Australia, the debate at home was about um, alternative proteins are going to overtake 
animal proteins and we're going to lose all our livestock farmers. I am exaggerating a little bit there, but, <laughs> and I was thinking far out, like if we actually just got a little bit of perspective into the conversation, oh, at yeah. the end of the day, whether people eat plant-based proteins or animal-based proteins, they're all supporters and stakeholders of agriculture. And, but how can we look at the role that agriculture plays in people's lives, not just in our little pocket of Australia, which is 26 million people, but actually globally. And for me, I think that's where humans of ag start. And I thought, okay, we boil it back down. Back home in Australia, we talk in facts and it's like, oh, if people just knew the facts, they could make decisions. But no one buys off facts and figures. They buy off emotion and you can have all the logic in the world, but bring emotions into it and emotions will prevail every single time. So how do we use what we know works and actually start to create and share stories which looks at agriculture through the emotional lens. And I think for me, that was where the natural fit of storytelling came in. Because if you meet with people in the sector, there's always so many stories that come out of it. There's so much passion that come into it. People's faces light up when they start talking about these things. And how can we grab all those amazing things and actually take that to a platform where the everyday person actually becomes our hero. And so in a sense, Humans of Agriculture was built around the influencer model, which has worked across so many other industries when it comes to elevating and platforming people. But instead of having a single person as the influencer, how do we create the platform? And in that space, each week or however often it is, we invite someone else in. And the familiarity that the audience gets is through me at this stage coming in. And and I see my role as actually helping that person who's coming in to share their story be comfortable. But my job in it is just to walk along beside them, ask them a few questions which allow them to get comfortable and, and really share and tap into that emotive piece of why they do what they do and what drives them and what's the impact that they want to have in their little pocket of the world or what's the impact that they see agriculture having. And so that evolved, I think, I'm, I'm blurting out the whole story in one, but in the early days, I, I was very fearful of activists and, and throwing my face to it. So I actually tried to keep myself removed from it. And there's two reasons, scared of the activism side, but also too, I didn't want the platform to be about me. But if it comes to trust and connection, we build connection off people. And so I knew that if I was to do it and I got um, very gently spurred on by someone and, and probably developed a little bit of courage, that was actually like, okay, if I want to have this impact, which I aspire to be and, and actually shift these conversations for the benefit of agriculture, for the broader community, but actually try and have it in a way of, let's look at what is the opportunity in agriculture in a global sense and how do we do that? Well. I think for me, I felt passionately enough about it that I needed to jump in and, and the podcast began. I was, um, I'm sure we can touch on, I was a beneficiary of a couple of years of lockdowns and, and ultimately it's kind of just evolved from there. <laughs> so yeah, you hid in your room for two years interviewing people, mate. Literally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before the podcast, now this is a bit that I, I'm actually was trying to understand even when I heard you speak the first time. It was a blog originally, yeah, and you and you were an anonymous blogger, yeah. So well, when I say blog, it was social media led, so it was just okay. through Instagram at the handle Humans of Agriculture, and it was about yeah profiling and sharing different people's stories. But I didn't really see a need or actually probably a desire for myself to be associated with it. So it did start as trying to champion different people and different personalities in the agriculture sector, and and do that through written format on social media. Do some stories really jump out? So, I mean, you've interviewed a lot of people, right? And, and are, there, are there some topics or people that just grip people um, and, you know, really take off? It's funny, like, if there was a secret sauce, I haven't worked it out yet in terms yeah. of the stories. I, I think what it boils down to is that it comes from, from me, I actually need to really be present when it comes to spending that time with that person. I have to really switch on to be able to listen and and create that space where they feel comfortable, but also to be willing to take it in in different angles. Mm-hmm. And I think probably off the back of that, then it's also when it when it comes to maybe some of the more topical areas and, and we've delved into topics if we were at a high level, we've had about succession, but we've also talked about suicide, mental health, mm-hmm. all these things which are actually part and parcel of our agricultural communities, which are huge topics. Um, chatted to people about child loss. And I think I walked out of that interview and was like, how on earth have I like, why, why do I have, 
the license to be able to ask questions on these things. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to asking that permission of people. Um, I think if you look at what's, what's the trend in agriculture, I think there's the stories of positions probably don't do so well. But what we can do through our storytelling is actually grab someone who's at the grassroots, who's just an everyday mm-hmm. kind of person who everyone sees as being ordinary and actually within these little ordinary parts is where we really do find that extraordinary pieces um, of humanity. And, and I think likewise, we can chat with CEOs and business leaders and everyone else. We're not chatting to them at the title because to be honest, that stuff, there's aspects of it which interests me, but I want to know what goes on behind them. And so we have this really incredible piece, I think, where our platform's actually a meeting place where we bring people and positions actually back down to the human level and, oh, and we elevate people who might not see themselves as being an authority or, or actually having a story and going, well, actually, let's just come together, have a chat. It's, it's you and I um, and the beauty of podcasts or, or one-on-one conversations is that then it's up to the audience. And if they resonate with your story, that's incredible. But at the end of the day, if you feel comfortable sharing it, um, I'd love to have the chance to chat with you and we can kind of see where it goes from there. I highly agree. My father used to say to me, he used to say, um, everybody has their own, has their story. You know, it doesn't matter whether they're, uh, you know, the president or CEO or, uh, you know, um, someone who's, you know, picking up your rubbish, sit down and listen, you'd be fascinated. Everyone has a story. Oh yeah. I couldn't agree more, David. I think it's probably like we're, and I'm guilty of it. We just become in such a rush to do things. And actually, if you slow down and start to observe kind of what's happening around you, you get that word. I love it. Curiosity. You get curious about someone and ask them a little bit about them, try and find out more about what they're doing, where they're at, what is their story kind of behind it. I think that's where we do really find the extraordinary. Yeah. You can just, you can nerd out on each other, can't you? Oh yeah. Hey, um, so I'd I'd love to know, you know, you've got these massive numbers now. How many people listened to your first episode? Mm. Way back when? Yeah, way back when. How many? What, 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 when you got to say ten, or what was exciting for you? Oh, I, to be honest, it was probably just that initial rush of having released something. Um, God, you're testing me on that. I'm going to have to go back and I actually would would really love to go back and look at that. I'm just looking at some stats. Okay, yeah. So I think it maybe took five or six weeks to get to our first thousand downloads, um, and then. I guess it becomes this little bit of economies of scale. The more episodes you release, the more chance people have to go back yeah. and listen to something. So, yeah, I think maybe the first time I cracked a hundred, I was like, "Oh my gosh, how good is this?" Um, and then, yeah, being being able to and how I view it is, for me, I, I'm so privileged to sit in the position to have these conversations with these people. And if that's the only place where it's ever heard, well, then that's kind of enough for me. Um, the fact that other people really resonate with it and, and where they resonate with it is really exciting. And I think, well, I still, I, I struggled probably a little bit at looking at it from a numbers perspective, because I think if we define our success off the numbers, um, then it, it, it just becomes transactional. But I think probably the, and only yesterday's episode, we had that person that we interviewed, um, it's, it's the things that we'll never see, the impact that we'll never, ever see yeah. that actually make these conversations so special. And it's that off the back of him having a chat, yes, we might've got, I don't know, say a thousand downloads in 24 hours. That's fantastic. But he might've got five, six, seven, 20 messages, or it might even just be one. And one message that actually goes, wow, like how special was that to actually have the opportunity to chat about the things that drive me or, or answer questions in a way that, I probably naturally wouldn't throw myself into it. Um, and I think, I think the true impact of what humans of agriculture has and does, we'll probably never, ever know. Yeah. So it's these people who would normally, uh, I listened to, I, I kept thinking back to your story about the, the taxi driver in Cape Town is that not many people like, you know, they always have this amazing story, but not many people, they never get asked for their story, do they? So sometimes do you feel that people are like, okay, is someone interested in my story? Do they want to hear about me? Probably the most common words I get, David, would be, oh, I'm not that interesting. Go and find a story somewhere else. And I think, I think it's probably like a, a humility piece. Um, yeah. Maybe it's an Australian thing. Yeah. I, I think lots of people probably downplay 
what they've done and what, what's driven them. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably just the natural feeling for lots of people. But what I'd encourage others to say is, well, go and have a go, get asked some questions about some different things. And, and it's not about trying to, for me, it's not about trying to trip someone up or uncover some really uncomfortable things from their past. It's actually just trying to understand a little bit more about who they are and what drives them and, and go from there. Yeah, it's great. So I suppose we get we get um, stained by that, what do you call it, um, tabloid journalism, it, which is but sort of what we do with these podcasts. It's very different, isn't it? Like, And I think people feel it's going to be like that, but it's not, is it? So, and I suppose, and when you listen to your episodes, it's very comfortable, I suppose. Unscripted? Unscript, uns, <laughs> unscripted is good, you know, because if it's got a script, it never really works, does it? It doesn't. And I think that's probably what podcast has enabled is it has opened up this incredible way of storytelling like i think if you look at so much of what we do and and especially in the content world people are it's it's a battle for attention of how do you get that person's attention for longer the amazing thing about podcast is that long form content you can't really hide behind it because one it would be so much work if you did that but two um these conversations really do just kind of evolve but what happens on kind of the other side in in people's ears as they're listening to it like Often they're inviting you into a place that they really want to have you. And whether that's when they're out for a walk, whether they're sitting in the kitchen, whether it's their quiet time, like the intimacy that's created between two people having a conversation, but then allowing your audience to take that to wherever they want to, um, is a really cool thing. It's almost voyeuristic, isn't it, in a way? Like I feel like a lot of the podcasts I like have that feel about them. And I'll listen to them at the gym or when I'm walking or in the car or whatever. And it's feel like I'm eavesdropping on a conversational minds. Yeah. And that was, I think the big motivator behind our podcast was we were, we were in lockdown over in, um, in Victoria. You guys wouldn't know about that <laughs> over on your side of the world, but I could educate you on that sometime. <laughs> no, no, we, we, we got, a, we, we had our emperor <laughs> who locked us in. <laughs> but I think for me, it was really like, okay, well, how can I, I really want to ask these people questions. So how can I get access to them to ask them these questions? Do it in a way that if I was to have a coffee with them, I'd have to be feeling really confident and comfortable to yeah. actually ask them the questions. The microphone gives you, and now we're sharing the secret sauce, the microphone <laughs> gives you this license to actually ask these questions that you probably otherwise wouldn't feel overly comfortable with. And you can ask them from a, a safe perspective in terms of, I'm really intrigued about this or something the audience wants to know is yeah. this. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're a pretty special little medium. But it is actually amazing, isn't it? Um, so where from here, um, what is it global domination for humans of agriculture, Ollie? So um, without giving away your business secrets, but you know, you're just, your your emotional vision for this. What do you hope for your baby in the coming years or the coming months? Or- well, probably a better plan. Um, nah, yeah, to be honest, that's probably the, the part which I really struggle with, um, is that I think when it was, when it was a passion project and I was doing it in lockdowns, it was incredibly easy. There was no pressure in, in it, if that made sense. There was so much time and space that was created through actually being in that isolation of, of lockdowns. When the opportunity came and I guess that crossroads came of going, okay, does Ollie want to be, I'm talking about myself in terms (laughs) do I want to be uh, and, and try and grow a corporate agribusiness career and go down this pathway? Or do I really want to try and see where this passion project can go? Mm. And to me, it came to a point where actually the two couldn't coexist. It had to be one or the other because I either wanted to go all in on my career or I wanted to go all in on and see where this went. And I probably had to, I was really fortunate that I had an amazing leader in the business I was in at the time, Angus Street, there at Auctions Plus. And I was able to really candidly chat to him in that and, and be vulnerable in that sense of uh-huh. going, I'm at this crossroads and, and I'm chatting in absolutes. Like it's, it's one or the other, they can't do it because one, I feel like if I was to go and work part-time somewhere, then, then I'm just not actually going to go all in and see what this thing can do. Yeah. Um, so the challenge at the moment is that we've, we've brought other people in and it is now, how do you, how do you build a business that's built on purpose? And do it in a way which you can support livelihoods, mm-hmm. especially in the content game where you're, you're competing with so many other mediums out there. For, for us, I think that's probably the, the challenging thing is how do we continue to commercialize this in a way that doesn't 
um, doesn't compromise the values and the actual why we created it. So that's probably a way of answering where I see it going into the future. It's really yeah. looking at how do we work with businesses that have similar values to us. We know whether it's retailers that are involved in agriculture talking about, okay, agriculture actually has this incredible story that it needs to share and people are genuinely interested in it. Right back down to industry bodies, agribusinesses and individual farmers saying, we feel undervalued because people don't understand what we actually do. So coming back to that question before, there's a huge need and a, and a desire and a problem that needs to be solved in there. And it's, and I see storytelling as being the natural conduit to that. How do we create human to human connection through stories for that? What that kind of looks like, I guess, for me is I see agriculture playing such an important role in the world we live in, in terms mm-hmm. of how do we, in a global sense, battle things like obesity, malnutrition, the way we care for the land, the way we move things more efficiently, more sustainably, like everything is kind of coming back at, at the core of all these big global challenges coming back to the interrelationship that we've got with our agricultural and food sector. And so I think for me, it's how, how do we help facilitate those discussions in a way that isn't driven off an, an agenda, it's actually driven off curiosity. And I think for me, if we can stay true to that and actually go, how do I, we as a, as a group, mm. um, as a team actually look to understand more and, and create this audience behind us, which is two pronged, but take the audience on the journey with us, but in a way which really does champion the agricultural sector and help people feel seen, heard and connected to what is actually happening in what is just such an important part of society. It is. I go back to your point before. I love that idea that you mentioned before that, you know, when everything goes wrong, people almost retreat back to ag, don't they? Like it's a really, and how we're all connected. I mean, you look what's, you mentioned your worldview here and about how connected we are. Well, look what's happening in Ukraine, how that affects people in Egypt and China and, you know, like, you know, we're all the same at an agricultural level, aren't we? And we're all sort of interconnected. So I love that vision of how agriculture sort of baselines us all really, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think it just gives us perspective. Like when you actually boil things down, what you actually truly need is food, shelter, uh, and connection and, and a couple of other things. But when we look at I guess the injustice that can come out of agriculture as well in a global sense. And yes, things like the war in Ukraine, but it's the little things that don't even make the news here. Like the droughts that have happened over East Africa, Mm -hmm. tens of thousands of people, mostly children have actually died this year alone. I would say there'd be very, very few people in Australia that are actually aware of that. When you start to look at the challenges within our food system, you look at the developed world where there's more than 2 billion people now overweight globally and you've got 830 odd million people starving every day. And it's like, okay, well, how do you actually address this? And fundamentally, it comes back to well, our food system and agriculture system to create a more kind of just society. And I think that's the part which I guess really philosophically inspires me because you can, if you want to create meaningful change in the world, you can do it from your little pocket of the world, wherever you might be farming, but connecting people to that, wherever they are, becomes incredibly powerful. Brilliant. Now, to finish off, mate, I want to know a couple of things. When you're not just this, you know, you're a busy man, when you're not knee deep in ag, how do you, how do you like to pass your time? You're a beach guy, you're a snow guy. Are you? Yeah. Um, what do I do for fun? What do you do for fun, mate, when you're not working the whole time? <laughs> I got asked that a while ago. And I think that's probably the hard thing in terms of, I just find, I file it find I'm so motivated and inspired by what I do that I really do find it hard to walk away from work. But I also know that's relatively unhealthy. Um, I recently went on a holiday, David, and I did not a whole lot. I was up in Noosa catching up with friends, sitting by the beach reading book, um, being active. Like I, I do enjoy getting out and doing things, whether that's riding a road or mountain bike, a bit of swimming. Um, I love going to the gym pretty well. I try and go every day um, and do group exercise, obviously. Not much for one for solitude. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's what I do for fun at the moment. And, and where I want to get to is spending more time with family and friends um, because, I, yeah, I probably have sacrificed that a little bit. You do with the Passion Project. And the last one, mate, is I ask this of everyone because in, you're probably the best person to ask for this question because you've spanned so much of ag and better perspective. But the myths, I love 
agriculture, you know, as a storyteller, you'd know there's so many myths around ag. And what do you reckon one of the most prevailing myths that you come across, you know, from people outside of ag, if that's a thing, looking in, go, it looks like this or it is like this, that that is just clearly wrong or misunderstood, do you think? Well, I was recently reading a report, actually, David, I've written down the stat because I actually reckon this myth comes from within agriculture, but it's how we look at ourselves. And it was from um, the Norco report, which was looking at the state of um, farmer mental health and wellbeing in Australia. It was, I think, released in March or April this year. And it was that 76% of farmers who are representative samples, so 76% of farmers believe that the role they play is undervalued by society. And I actually think that's a myth because I think society really do value farmers. They're just not having the opportunity to draw those connections. And, and I think a lot of that comes from, yeah, I guess in agriculture, we're creating this myth and assumption that people don't value what actually happens. There you go. It's a good place to ha- finish. So thanks very much, right? And um, I really enjoyed our chat and um, all the best for the future, mate. Oh, before I go, I've got to say, so how do, get, so how do people get hold of you? Um, you know, humans of agriculture, where do they find you? So how do they nerd out on all things humans of agriculture, right? Where do they go? Oh, you can go anywhere. No, um, Instagram, I guess, is a, a key platform for us. We're just at humans of agriculture with an underscore. Um, our website, humansofagriculture.com or reach me directly. Hello or Ollie, but probably best is hello at humansofagriculture.com and that'll come through to us. And yeah, we'd love to chat to anyone who has a story and interest or, or wants to kind of chat more about what we've talked about. Good on you, mate. Well, thanks very much. All the best. Thanks, David. Thanks again for listening to Boots Off Log On. Our aim with this podcast is to give you access to the best minds in agricultural business and to help your farm business thrive. So if you have any feedback or suggestions for the podcast, including people you believe I should interview, please email bootsofflogon at agrimaster.com.au. If you like this episode, please take time to share it on social media or even better, directly with at least one friend today. And take the time to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it really helps us reach more farm businesses like you. As always, if you'd like to know more about AgriMaster farm business management software and services, you can find us at agrimaster.com.au. I look forward to speaking to you next time. Thank you.